I'm Maggie. Hi, I'm Mark, and this is... Facial Report. Welcome to the Esri Canada podcast that connects our user community to the latest and greatest in the world of ArcGIS. On today's show... There are big changes coming for our web developer community next year, so we'll take you inside the Arc to break down everything you need to know about the migration of your apps. Then our ArcGIS Online GeoGeek will drop by to help us understand what's going on behind the scenes with your viral apps. And as always, Maggie and I will go head-to-head in another epic battle of M versus M. The GIS fun never stops. Let's get the good times rolling. So, Mark, today's a little special and different from our usual episodes, isn't it? It is so special because I am actually physically sitting next to you. Yeah, we get to be together in Toronto. Mark's here visiting and we get to record our session together today, which is exciting and fun. I know. And the best part is I get to see the tears in your face when you're going to lose the game show later today. So I'm very, very excited. Good to see we're starting off competitive today, Mark. So you're setting the tone. It's great to know. I can't (laughs) wait. Well, I'm in the mood, instead of fighting right now, to talk about something that's making me feel good and making you feel happy too, or should I say, mappy. Hmm. As we always want to start our episodes, what's something that is making you mappy this week, this month? What's getting you excited about GIS, Mark? Well, first of all, I, see, I saw what you did there. Very, very clever. Very nice. Um, all right. So I want to give some flowers, some love to one of my favorite things in ArcGIS Pro, which is data engineering. Now, I know it's not really new, and it sounds really intimidating and scary, but it's actually really cool. It's a it's a nice user experience and workflow to help you explore and understand your data and to prepare your data sp- specifically for analysis. And we're really talking about uh, on the attribute side, on the tabular data. So what it does, it combines some existing tools that you're familiar with, uh, with some new functions, and it puts it all in one central uh, single user interface. And it really looks great. And I know, Maggie, it's perfect for us because we get data all the time to build demos or to show off to uh, in different projects. So we got all this data, but we don't really know much about the data. So data engineering will help us understand and explore that data in a little more depth. Yeah, definitely. Ever since it's come into ArcGIS Pro, I know I'm using it all the time. But for people who haven't worked with it yet, or even just for me, who may not know much about the details, how exactly does data engineering work? All right. So it's really simple. It's actually its own view. So when you click on the data engineering button, it's going to provide its own ribbon and its own uh, view display. And it does uh, three core things. So the first thing it allows you to do is explore your fields. Uh, so you can instantly take a look at all the fields that you got. You can get the alias names. You can get the type. You can get the length, all that kind of stuff really quickly. You could even change the symbology based on the values in that field. Or you could even create some charts on the fly based on those values. So uh, if you want to just learn more about what you got in terms of your tabular data, you can easily do that uh, through the data engineering view. Uh, the second big thing is that you can interact with statistics. So if you want to take a look at the quality of your field values or maybe you want to generate some really quick stats like the count or the mean or the standard deviation, uh, you can certainly do that. But one of the best things, is it has a chart preview and it gives you an, an idea, a little snapshot of what the distribution of your data is. So you have a really good idea of whether your data is evenly distributed or if there's some skew in your data, you can visualize that really quickly. And the third thing is it allows you to prepare data. So 
um, a bunch of the uh, uh, geoprocessing tools that you're familiar with, some common ones to help you modify that data. It's all in one location. So if you want to be able to add a field, calculate a field, maybe uh, use uh, uh, fill missing values, even if you want to transpose your fields, all of those teal, uh, all of those GP tools are available right in front of you in that single location. So everything you need to prepare your data and, uh, and uh, for analysis later on, you can do this within that data engineering interface. Fantastic, Mark. Definitely something to make you feel mappy. I definitely am always mappy about data engineering. It's a very useful tool. And if somebody is trying to learn more, where would they go to find more information on this? Yeah, so um, as always, we'll, you can always hit our website at esri.ca slash spatial report. We'll have some links to some documentation. And I also happen to create a, a little introductory tech talk video back in November for a GIS day. So we'll provide that link to you as well. It's a little 30 minute video that will introduce you to data engineering as well. All right, so that's what's making me mappy this month. It's your turn, Maggie. What is making you mappy this time around? There's always a lot making me mappy, and I love to focus on ArcGIS Pro. I'm a tried and true desktop user, but this time I've been looking at ArcGIS Online and the apps in there, and there's something in ArcGIS dashboards that's pretty new that's making me very mappy this month, and that is the option to reset your dashboard. It's a new setting that's available for dashboards. Came out with ArcGIS 11.1 if you're an enterprise user or also available in ArcGIS Online. But it's a really simple little setting that's just a dashboard-wide setting that makes things a lot easier for your user. They have a lot more options. What it does is it just allows everything, as it sort of implies by the name, to reset. So if you've gone in and made some selections or panned around the map, just sort of interacted with the dashboard as you're supposed to, but you want to go back to what the original intended message was or the blank slate, the users just have the option to click reset and they're ready to go and they can go back to how it was in the beginning without having to sort of fumble around and do all that extra work. It's a pretty handy little tool. I really love that. I'm surprised it took this long for it to get, <laughs> to get in there. So, so, so what's so good about that? Well, it really just encourages people to actually interact with it in a deeper way with your dashboards. You put a lot of work in there, putting in different filters, different ways to interact. And sometimes users don't want to go too far in because they don't want to sort of lose the message. But it gives them the option to really customize what they're looking at, get deep into the product that you've made, and quickly and easily just go back to how it's meant to be originally. So encouraging people to get in there and play with your dashboards and really get the most out of the information that you've spent so much time putting together. Awesome. And um, I'm sure there's lots of information out there to be able to help set this up. Yes, definitely. There's documentation as always for the dashboard. So you can read about sort of the specifics of it. But if you want to see it in action, our colleague Brandon Wheatley has made a GeoSnap about this that we'll have linked on our website or you can find it on our Esri Canada YouTube page. So take a look out for that. Perfect. Two very mappy things to get your summer rolling. There we go. So coming up next, we're going to go inside the arc to learn more about major changes that are coming up in the web development space and what this means for you. Earlier this spring at the Esri Developer Summit in Palm Springs, Esri announced the retirement of two of its popular products in building web applications, the ArcGIS API for JavaScript version 3.x and the ArcGIS Web App Builder. We recognize this is big news as many of you built your web apps using these technologies. So to help us understand how this will impact you and what you can do moving forward, 
we are joined by Maura Daffron. She is our Geo Developer Advocate for Azure Canada and is joining us today from Toronto. Hello, Maura. Hey guys, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. All right. So let's start on the um, ArcGIS API side first. So we know mm-hmm. that this announcement came from Esri. It's very formal. Um, what can you tell us about the timeline of when this is going to happen and what's going to happen when that date is, uh, occurs, when it's retired? So just with respect to the ArcGIS API for JavaScript 3.x, that'll be retired on July 1st, 2024. So when the API is required, if when the API is retired, the nice thing about it is because the API will be continue to be hosted on our content delivery network, all your apps that you develop should continue to work as expected. But the thing to keep in mind is that once it's retired, there will be no further bug fixes or enhancements to the API. So, so in addition, technical support will no longer be available. So to ensure that your 3x apps run as expected. You, until you're able to mi- until you're able to migrate, you should be mindful about any browser updates that could introduce new issues that won't be fixed in API patches. Okay, so you mentioned that apps, some apps will like will continue to work, or apps built on it will continue mm-hmm. to work after retirement, which is great. Um, are there any apps that we should be aware of that are affected by this? Like, which apps um, would those be? Yeah, any any applications that were built using the ArcGIS API for JavaScript 3.x will be affected. So this includes what the Map Viewer Classic, which I know a lot of people happen to be using, and any of the ArcGIS configurable apps. Um, again, these apps should continue to function after the retirement date. But as I mentioned previously, you should be quite mindful of any browser updates that may break these apps themselves. Um, in addition, any apps that were built using the ArcGIS Web App Builder um, will be affected by this change as well. Right. And we'll talk a little bit about the web app builder coming up in a sec, but what about mm-hmm. for those, um, hardcore developers who actually, uh, delve into the uh, API and build their own custom app. So what's going to happen to uh, their applications when the API retires? So again, any custom apps should continue to function as expected because the ArcGIS API 3X API is still hosted on our content delivery network. But again, it's it's considered to be best practice to migrate these apps to the 4X SDK. And again, as there is no direct migration, any code that you've written will have to be rewritten using the ArcGIS Maps SDK 4.x. Okay, so lots of people Mm -hmm. have to be aware of some changes, which is important to, to know. So thanks for being here to remind them of that. And then specifically, let's take a look at the talk about the web app builder. I know a lot of people love that application and have been using it Mm -hmm. for a long time. Um, What is the timeline looking like for its retirement? So the web app builder developer edition will be retired in time with the ArcGIS API JavaScript 3.x. So it will retire in July 2024 um, in alignment with the 3.x API. Um, the web app builder that is included as part of ArcGIS Online will retire in the fourth quarter of 2025. And of course, there's the web app builder that is, that is part of ArcGIS Enterprise, and that will continue to be part of Enterprise until the first half of 2025, at which point it will be retired and no longer released to new versions of Enterprise. Um, existing versions of Enterprise will continue to support the ArcGIS web app builder in accordance with the ArcGIS Enterprise product lifecycle. Yeah, so that's really important to note, right? So if you've got mm-hmm. the developer edition, it's going to be 24. But for a mm-hmm. lot of people like myself who use um, the, the Web App Builder from ArcGIS Online, you got till the end of 25, correct? Right, that's correct. Okay, yes. perfect. Now, I know there are a lot of those users like myself who loved Web App Builder, loved how, to, uh, how, how it works. 
Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the strategies, I guess, if you're thinking about migrating away from your current uh, web app builder app and maybe um, choosing um, so something a little bit more modern that takes advantage of that um, ArcGIS Maps SDK of uh, 4X for JavaScript? Right. So I'd say the best strategy is to take some time to analyze your applications. So take a real good look at what your applications do, document the requirements and use cases so you have a good understanding of what your application does and who uses it. And then look at the options that are available for you when moving to the newer technologies. Chances are you might not even have to do any coding to migrate. You can look at using ArcGIS Instant Apps to migrate, ArcGIS Story Maps, or ArcGIS Experience Builder to see if you can implement custom applications without doing any coding. If you do need to implement custom functionality, um, consider creating a new application using the ArcGIS Maps SDK for JavaScript 4.x or building custom widgets for Experience Builder. Now, I should note when it comes to creating custom widgets, it's recommended that your developers have knowledge of two technologies that Experience Builder uses, TypeScript and React. So that might be something that your developers might have to work on learning to work with Experience Builder effectively. Okay, so it looks like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of options out there for people, which is great and uh, might require a little bit of learning on some ends just to see what different Mm -hmm. options there are. are. Were there any resources available about the migration that can help people with this transition? Oh, there's tons. Um, so I'd say the best resource is the ArcGIS Maps SDK for JavaScript documentation on developers.arcgis.com. Um, this is your main site that you would go to for any any help or reference or information about the ArcGIS Maps SDK for JavaScript. Um, in addition to the documentation for the Maps SDK for JavaScript, it includes a guide for migration to the 3x from the 3x API to the current version of the Maps SDK for JavaScript, which discusses the differences between the two APIs and any concepts that developers will need to understand when working with the Maps SDK for JavaScript. The SDK documentation also includes fundamentals and core concepts for the Maps SDK for JavaScript that are useful when learning the new technology. In addition, this site includes live samples that you can work with in CodePen to gain an understanding of the technology. Finally, Esri has created some videos on Meta Space that provide an introduction to the Maps SDK to JavaScript. Uh, in addition, Esri has also written some blog posts that discuss the retirement of the JavaScript API 3.x that are well worth reading. And finally, the Esri community has is a question and answer board that is useful for when you run into problems develop, developing with the SDK and need to get input from other users. Oh man, that is such a relief. I need all the help I can get when it comes <laughs> right. to this stuff. So Yeah, there's tons of resources out there. I mean, one other thing that I should mention is, of course, um, Esri Canada has technical support and we have a robust Esri Canada developer support team, which can also help you with any any issues that you have working with the uh, 4X SDK. Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of uh, discussion out there as the date approaches. So um, mm-hmm. I'm sure there'll be a lot more... Um, a um, lot more feedback and a lot more ways that we can uh, communicate and help you guys out as we uh, go through this transitional period. Um, mm-hmm. in, f- in fact, I think I'm doing a webinar in September <laughs> on this topic uh, for the web app builder. So I'm looking forward That's to exciting. Yeah, I know. It's going uh, to be a lot of fun. All right. So um, just as we begin to wrap up here, um, I'm sure you get a lot of questions about this. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of reaction <laughs> that you have encountered so far about this, mm-hmm. uh, this news. So, so what are sort of the three takeaways, sort of um, things to reassure our, our developer community um, as this transition uh, moves forward? Well, I'd say the first, the first thing is that change is coming. So it's best to be prepared. So you have a year before the ArcGIS API for JavaScript will be retired. 
So it's best to spend that time preparing for the migration. Look at the apps that you've built or le that leverage the ArcGIS API for JavaScript 3X and determine what the best path forward is, either using the code-free approach using Instant Apps and Experience Builder or building your own custom apps using the ArcGIS SDK for JavaScript. Second, any apps that you built using the ArcGIS API for JavaScript or Web App Builder will continue to work after the API is retired, as the API will continue to be hosted on our content delivery network. That being said, again, again, any browser updates that break these apps will not be addressed by Esri, as this API will no longer be supported by technical support. So even though these apps should continue to function, it's best practice to move over onto the newer technology. Finally, you may need to learn new technologies such as TypeScript and React to leverage the ArcGIS, SDK, ArcGIS Maps SDK for JavaScript, especially if you're looking at building custom widgets for Experience Builder. So it's best to get your developers trained up on these new technologies as soon as possible. Yeah, that's all really good advice. And probably the most important oh. thing is don't panic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't panic. Time. I mean, everything should continue to work as expected. I mean, just be, be quite mindful about any browser updates that you happen to roll out after the retirement date. Um, just so that your apps will continue to work as they are expected to do so. Wow, Maura, that was a lot of really good information. And I'm sure our web developer community really appreciates uh, your, uh, your, your feedback. So thanks so much for joining us today on the Spatial You're Report welcome. podcast. Welcome. That was really fun. Thank you. Yay. And coming up next, let's keep the ArcGIS Online vibes going with our GeoGeek. All right, it's now time for the GeoGeeks, our regular segment where we bring in a subject matter expert to tell us what's new and what's interesting in one of our core ArcGIS products. Today we welcome Carson Smalders. He's a GIS support consultant with Esri Canada and also a great friend of mine. He's here with us to tell us all about what's going on in ArcGIS Online. So thanks for joining us today, Carson. Thank you guys, it's great to be here. Carson and I went to Fleming College together and uh, also started work at Esri on the very same day. So we've been together on the GIS journey for a long time. And uh, I knew exactly who to call when we were looking for a GeoGeek for ArcGIS Online. Could you tell us a little bit about what it is that you like about ArcGIS Online? What makes you a geek for ArcGIS Online, Carson? That's a good question, Maggie. Um, I've been supporting ArcGIS Online for, I guess, almost four years now. Um, one of the things I love about ArcGIS Online is just the ability to share geographic data widely. Um, some of our most popular apps have been shared around the world through ArcGIS Online. Um, and I also love the, uh, the living atlas that's part of ArcGIS Online. It's great to be able to access data from all over the world, uh, authoritative data, and you can just log in, search for things, and you can browse literally countless data sets um, for free through ArcGIS Online. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of ArcGIS Online as well, for the exact same reasons. I just love that you could just share data really quickly and, and share it out to the masses. It's really cool. So speaking of ArcGIS Online, I know you've been working on this project, especially during the last few months when there's a number of wildfires that have popped up, especially around uh, northern Alberta during the spring. And uh, you were assigned to work with some dashboards to be able to inform the public about these wildfires while it's still in fire season. Maybe you can give us... Um, a little bit about how those apps in ArcGIS Online go viral that you've been working on. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, one of the great things, as I said, about ArcGIS Online is its ability to share geographic data widely. And in certain emergency management situations, like wildfires, um, geographic apps and data 
are really important for people. Um, they're important to see where things like wildfires are, how close they are to people. Um, it's a really important part of the emergency management strategy to be able to share data like this publicly. Um, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about today is um, how these apps actually go viral. What is the infrastructure involved um, behind the scenes that allows apps and dashboards that use geographic data in RTS online to go viral? Um, it's a very cool system and it allows people to access it stably. It allows people to see where things are happening. Um, and it's a really cool part of the system as a whole. Yeah, so definitely a lot of con like things people need to think about when an app might go viral. You know, the average dashboard isn't going to get hundreds of thousands of views in a day. But if you're working on something that is has that potential to go viral, if you're working on something like these fire dashboards, are there any considerations that the user should keep in mind when they're configuring their applications? Definitely. Um, let's dive a little bit, I guess, into how the infrastructure works um, and why configuring it in a certain way is really important. Um, just like anything, ArcGIS Online is built on top of a data uh, on top of a database, and a database has certain performance limitations. It it has CPU, it has RAM, it has input output limitations, and every request that gets sent from a client machine to the server, which is serving out your geographic data, uh, takes up computational resources. So the idea is that you want to limit the amount of queries that are going to the database, the database that's hosted in the cloud that's hosting your data. And in order to do that, ArcGIS Online uses a series of caches. Um, and those caches mean that your request, the, the request that the public is sending for data to ArcGIS Online, um, those requests can hit the cache instead of hitting the database. So instead of taking up computational resources on the database and potentially causing performance issues, you can hit a cache. Um, and the cache for viral apps, public viral apps is called the CDN, it's the Content Delivery Network. Um, and the Content Delivery Network allows your app to scale not just within a geographic region, but across the world. Um, the content delivery network allows you to spread out your data to specific nodes and wherever people are in the world, they will access the node that's closest to them. Um, and so you want to maximize your application so that it's accessing that content delivery network. Um, and without going too much more deeper into it, you can actually configure these in your hosted feature layer settings. You can say, how long do I want my, my content delivery network cache to last for. And the longer the cache lasts for, the better. It means that people are hitting the database less and your app becomes more scalable. That's really interesting. I'm kind of drawing the parallels between uh, the COVID uh, dashboards that we had during the height of the uh, pandemic and sort of the wildfire um, applications that uh, you're working with uh, now. Um, so obviously sometimes these things really explode. They go viral really quickly and um, what happens? Are there any options when uh, there's an increase to increase performance when an application doesn't go viral? Yeah, the COVID, the COVID dashboard, the Johns Hopkins COVID, COVID dashboard is a great example um, of a viral application that has millions, hundreds of millions of views. Um, 
One thing that you can do if you do need increased performance in ArcGIS Online is there are actually different data store levels. I believe it goes all, all the way from the standard feature data store, which you get with a normal ArcGIS Online organization. Um, and then there's premium feature data stores, which run from M1 all the way up to M4. Um, and those data stores are actually dedicated data stores. So they're, it's not a shared resource pool. Um, and it allows you to increase your performance in ArcGIS Online. You have more database resources allocated to you. Um, so if you are building an application that you think is going to go viral and you've got a large ArcGIS Online organization um, and you have specific requirements for your application that prevent it certain requests from being cacheable, it may be worth looking into a higher data store level. Thanks so much for telling us about the data stores. It's something that I think a lot of people don't know about when it comes to ArcGIS Online. So it's really great to hear that it's an option for people when you are in a situation where you have all those requests coming in. And thanks again for just telling us a little bit more about what happens when apps go viral in ArcGIS Online. So uh, it's been great having you with us today. Thank you for joining us, Carson. And we hope to have you back on the show so very soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much, Carson. That was Carson Smolders, ArcGIS Support Consultant for Esri Canada. And he joined us today from Toronto. But coming up next, Maggie's going to lose on M versus M. It's time again for M versus M, the game of host versus host for the GIS Trivia Challenge. That's right. And the rules are really simple. You get three right first, you win. You get three wrong first, you are a loser. Well, you're the loser. This oh. time, I would be the winner because I am hosting the challenge this <gasps> uh -oh. month. Now I'm nervous. I mean, I wouldn't be too nervous. I, it seems that you know quite a lot, Mark. So. I don't... It's yeah. not, not <laughs> hopeful, but let's give this a shot. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll see what we can do. Okay. I was recently reading a book. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called The History of Canada in 10 Maps. Have you ever read that book, Mark? I don't read. Oh, well, it's a good book if you're ever interested. It has a lot of history about maps. Shocking. What? I know. You would think that it might not, but I, I liked reading that book, and it really inspired me to learn a little bit more about the history of you know cartography, geography, GIS. Mm. And those are the types of questions that I have for you today. Oh, gosh. All right. So let's see if you're a history buff and see what you know. Well, I am buff, but it's a whole <laughs> different uh, thing. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely right. So <laughs> let's, let's get into the questions and see. Let's test your knowledge. All right, let's do it. Okay. First question. And, and all the answers, by the way, are going to be locations. So okay. you're going to have options. Right, I options. think your chances are high. All right. All right. Where was the first compass invented? What? Yep. Compass. You know them. They tell you which direction you're pointing or going. Okay. So my question for the, the options, is it A, England, B, Turkey, C, Egypt, or D, China? Wow, those are really interesting options. I mean, I kind of want to go for the home team here and choose China, but this seems like, you know what, I'm going to go off the radar. I'm going to say Turkey, or is it Turkey A? Turkey A. You should have trusted the homeland, Mark. Oh, <laughs> the no. answer is China. The Burn. estimated date of the first compass is 206 BC in the uh, Han Dynasty in China. 
All right. Okay, I'll take the one strike so far. Yeah, sorry. I was like, I thought maybe you'd you'd trust your your homeland, but apparently not. I guess not. Uh, yeah. Oh well. Mm. well. Another try. Another chance. All right. Here we go. Okay. So this one's a little bit more recent. We're not looking at 206 BC this time, but the father of GIS, Robert Tomlinson was the first person to create a computerized GIS system and sort of coined the term GIS. Mm-hmm. Where was he working at the time? Was it A, London in the United Kingdom, B, Ottawa in Ontario, C, Paris, France, or D, Washington, D.C.? All right, well, I was alive when barely, you know, I was a, <laughs> I was a young pup when he was doing his first GIS. No, that's not true. I, I know there's a Canadian connection to Roger because uh, we celebrated um, him uh, on his passing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Ottawa. That is correct. Yeah. Canada is the first home to GIS. So Nice. I didn't know that you would know it, but I had, I had a feeling that you would, you would guess. So good job. Well, you know, all good things start in Canada, right? Definitely true, for yes. sure. But something that didn't start in Canada Uh-oh. is mapping. The very first maps. <gasps> The original maps. There have been a lot of different ones found over the years, but there's one that is so far known to be the oldest. And do you know what country the oldest map was found in? Mm. Was it in A, Greece, B, Iran, C, France, or D, Italy? Oh boy, that's a really interesting one. Um, what was the second option again? That would be B, Iran. Uh. I'm going to go with Hawaii. That is a very good guess, Mark. But I put it in there to trick you on this. Oh, come on. This is so cruel. I know. Well, you're doing fine. It's still only two wrong. The actual answer is France. No way. Yeah. So the first world map was found in Iran. That was in 600 BC. First world map. But the oldest map to have been found was actually in France. It's the St. Bellic Slab. And it's from, they don't really know for sure, but it's from either 1900 or up until 1640 BC. So quite a bit older. Oh, it's probably just a, a map, uh, to, to the road to the to the winery or something. It is actually a map of a, of a winery is area. It really? But it is, and it is, uh, to be honest, when you look at it, you can't really tell it's a map, but somebody figured out that it probably was, so. How dare they? That's the first one. So, so far, two wrong. Only one more. Mm. And I'm going to win. Okay, I'm not going to let that happen. Okay, hopefully, well, let's see. Should I use my harder question? Or oh, you want to eliminate one? me fast? <laughs> okay, I, I think this is a good question. Okay. So, in what country was the first aerial photo taken? Ooh. Lots of those have been done over the years. Mm-hmm. And this one was using a hot air balloon okay. in 1858. All right. Was it in A, Germany, B, the United States of America, C, France, or D, Canada. Wow. They had hot air balloons in 1858? I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> All right. I am going to go with... It can't be France again. It can't. just can't be. Let's go with the U.S. It could be France again. No! <laughs> it is France. It was taken in Paris, France. And it was in 1858. There was, the next one I could find was the United States. It was an aerial photo of Boston from a few years later. And it was also from a hot air balloon, but nope, it was France. So, shame, Mark. You just uh, not up on your GIS history, I I guess. I got burned by the French twice, so uh, (laughs) I'm boycotting fries. (laughs) 
for the rest of my life. Those are from Belgium. Are they really? Okay. <laughs> so I guess I have to suffer this consequence, hey? Yeah, you know what you got to do. I know what I got to do. I got to read the outro. So here it goes. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Spatial Report. Please check out our website at esri.ca slash spatial report to learn more about the topics we cover today and a whole lot more. You can subscribe to our monthly Getting Technical newsletter that highlights all the latest news in our technology. And don't forget to check out our sister podcast, Geographical Thinking, where we take you inside your GIS stories. This podcast is brought to you by Esri Canada, a technology company that empowers people and organizations by the science of wear. Maggie, we'll see you next month. Sounds good. See you then. Peace out. Happy mapping.